0: You're listening to a Whales or Whales production. You're also listening to Whales. Visit whalesorwhales.com for more projects and shows like this one. <laughs> Greetings. Hello everybody and welcome to episode 5 of Hearthaholics Strategies of Hearthstone. This week we're going to be talking about card review and evaluation. And joining me for that is Andres. Hey Andres, how are you doing?
1: Hey Brian, I'm doing great today. Got my webcam going, so... For the first time ever, we got live video over here. Well, you guys That's can't true. see it, but we—you can you guys, see guys it. can't see it, but we totally can.
0: So you know, we're we're gonna we're gonna do lots of visual humor the whole time. We're gonna do half the episode in sign language. Um, so this is yeah, it's gonna go great.
1: But you know, uh, this is baby steps for maybe in the future. You know, being a little more video, video featured and stuff. You know, we started in exactly. the audio world, but we're not against video. We don't hate it. No, no, not
0: at all. It's just um, we, we haven't had to do it yet, but it's something we might look into. Um, something exciting about this episode and this week is that we had been planning to do a card review episode anyway, because we thought it would be a really interesting thing to talk about the idea of when new cards come out. How can you evaluate a card? How can you tell if it's good? What are different evaluation methods people have used in Hearthstone and Magic? Um, and then we're like, "Well, around BlizzCon will be good because we'll probably announce something." What we didn't expect was them to announce and release something within a week. (laughs) which uh which fit pretty darn well so now we're actually doing a two-part thing this week we're going to have this episode about how we review cards and good practices and then we're actually going to have a full set review of the uh expansion league of explorers that's what it's called
1: right that's right let's talk about that for a second though what do you think about that announcement when they were like all right well the the adventure is going to come out sometime next month no no you know what it's going to come out next week you know, you know what? It's gonna come out Thursday, and everyone that's, like everyone lost their mind. I love it because um, they figured out
0: a place in Hearthstone where already when they were like GVG is coming out in a month or two, people were crazy because Blizzard never does that. Yeah, uh, but now that they're to the point with Hearthstone that they can keep it a secret long enough and work on enough stuff to be able to release stuff the next week, I think that's going to do a lot to keep the game fresh.
1: Um, also, you cause... think it was a little strategy, maybe to defuse. Like, some of the stuff that has been going on, all the... Yeah, people kind of... were really angry for a while.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. A, that's a good thought. Um, and also, I think it allows them... Sometimes, like, the build-up period was too long. Like, I think before TGT, there's almost, like, too much time to speculate, and people just look at the cards. I kind of like this immediate... Especially with an adventure that takes five weeks to roll out, or four weeks in this case. I am it's totally nice.
1: okay with this release yeah. schedule. If from now on, every time they announce an adventure is for the next week, I, I am on board with that.
0: Yeah, I think it's a good. I think it's a really good plan. Maybe for full expansions, give it a couple weeks since there are you know hundreds
1: cards coming out with that. But But please, let's never go back to the Naxxramas like release one card for like a week for like two months. That was too much. I think they realized that that was drawing it out a little too long. So,
0: and plus, I mean, so that makes three expansions they released this year. No one is expecting, I don't think, that kind of release cycle because we had Blackrock, we had. Um, the grand tournament, and we had um,
1: we had League of Explorers. So I don't know. I feel like precedent. this. Like, I feel like so far they've nailed the cycle because every time it starts feeling a little too stale, bam, yeah. new cards were come out. Maybe
0: they actually, when they first designed Hearthstone, had like five expansions done, and they're just like, <laughs> we'll just release these. You know, win the game. Yeah, getting well,
1: they've talked about that. Like sometimes when they interview them once an expansion is out, they they're like, well, you know, I worked on that like a year ago. So they yeah. probably worked in like another, at least two more after that one. I I would believe. Yeah.
0: I wonder how much they then tweak them to address current metagame because stuff happens and must happen between when they come up with a card concept and like when it actually comes out. Like Patron becomes a deck between those. two Yeah. Things. So yeah, they probably yeah. have to, you
1: know. I'm sure they make can have a, a level of predictability. Right. And then Tweet. they they know at least what is likely to come out. Yeah. And then the only thing they they have left to know is how. Is this going to be insane? Is this going to be too much? Is this going to take over everything? Or is this going to be kind of like in fine tune with everything else and we can kind of leave it alone?
0: I still remember on The Angry Chicken when Ben Brode was talking about Mysterious Challenger. Like, he knew before it came out and as it was coming out that Mysterious Challenger was going to be a powerful card. He's like. We looked at previous effects. We, we know how this stuff works and this is going to be big for Hearthstone. And I don't think a lot of other people were quite expecting it to that level. Yeah,
1: definitely. I think
0: they predicted Secret Paladin in a way they didn't predict Patron.
1: Well, Um, I think, I think they made, I think they made Secret Paladin. Yeah. I think they already had that idea in mind. And then they were Mm -hmm. like, okay, what card can we make to make this deck viable? And right. uh, Mysterious Challenger was what they came up with. I was like, yep, that's, that's good enough. So yeah, League of Explorers, I,
0: I've been enjoying it. Uh, just the first wings out as of today, actually, um, yesterday yeah. for the people listening to this. And yeah, it, it was fun. Like, the normal versions of the bosses never engage you that much, just because you can beat them with pretty much any deck, um, given one or two tries. But they're getting really creative. I thought the whole escape from the temple was a really fun idea. I really enjoyed that one, boss. actually, that you mentioned
1: it. Yeah, the, mm. the adventure in general just seemed... Really fun. I had a lot of fun completing it, from the little voiceover to all the little mechanics that are involved in it. Uh, yeah. All the decks are also pretty cool. Um, I really like these bosses, the way they design them, because mm-hmm. rather than make him extremely challenging and hard to beat, they make them very accessible, and they use them more as a display. I feel because they, they exemplify a lot of the mechanics and the new stuff that is gonna come with this uh with these bosses, especially with right. the the class challenges. They really try to emphasize like some of this new new core mechanics and stuff. Like uh I can't remember I, oh yeah, Discovery. the genie, the genie one had yes. all this cover all over the place. And that mm-hmm. was super interesting. Like getting to see how you can use that strategically, like sometimes maybe Not using it immediately, but maybe waiting for the board to develop a little bit and then using it and choosing the appropriate answer. It's actually, I thought it was actually really cool and very, it had a lot of strategic depth. I really enjoyed it.
0: I agree with you. I think they did a really good way of, yeah, using their time to be able to show this stuff off, especially with Discover where, you know, starting out, there are only going to be like one or two Discover cards. So you're going to be lucky to be able to discover like once or twice during a game, giving you a chance where you can just discover over and over again and really get a feel for the numbers game and that and how often you're getting good cards from it is really smart.
1: Like obviously it was Um, overdone. And in a way, they also made it a little bit of a of a challenge because mm-hmm. you would find like your hand would start to fill up and you're like oh god oh, I'm, yeah. gonna, I I'm gonna over, overfill so now I gotta think about like how do I deploy this cards fast enough do I use mm-hmm. this discover now also the one that give, gave you more wishes it was kind of like I love that the, the but like my hand is so big what do I yeah. do with all this I can't play all this you know yeah
0: I really look forward to getting more into the discover mechanic in our set review episode. But one thing I will say off the bat that I love about it is it's giving you the fun of random with the strategy of actual choice. Um, and I think that's an amazing combination because it's yes. randomized the three you get to choose from. It's not just drawing from your deck, but you get to, and for people who don't know, in case you haven't looked up Discover, I should probably explain. Basically, something has a Discover effect, it's going to say, like, discover a minion. And that means it'll randomly choose from three minions, either from your class minions or all neutral minions, and pop them up just like something like tracking, and then you get to choose one of those three to put in your hand. Um, and the reason I like that so much is it has the random thing of, like, oh my gosh, this could be any minion. It could be Gazrilla if I'm hunter, or it could be, you know, Lepernome. It could be anything. And but you also get a choice so it's not just like unstable portal it's like this is what you get yeah
1: it's actually but, a controlled choice I was playing mm-hmm. the, the class challenge and this, this was a very cool experiment and I was so glad that it worked out because it felt great you know you were playing like the bolster warrior in that mm-hmm. class challenge and I had uh, three minions on the board and I had two bolsters which was enough to get him low enough but not to kill yeah. him and I was like I had to discover spells and I was like you know what I bet I can find a third bolster with this. I played the first discover, couldn't do it. Played the second one, and there it was. I found one as well. Yeah, bolster. I was like, oh, come over here, baby. Three bolsters in one turn, and that was insane. I I did something similar. (laughs) I just
0: also really appreciate that they put a bolster deck in there for me to use because I haven't yeah. wanted to
1: play that since bolster came I think out. it's becoming a thing, you know? We'll talk about that later when we mm. get into the the new cards that are coming mm-hmm. out, but I think uh, yeah, bolster decks and uh, taunt warriors are coming up, boys. We hoped last time, but you know, sometimes they just need that last little push. Yeah, it was the like, edge. it's like dragons, you know. They just need yeah, a you're right. Little, yeah, Everyone a little, said edge. little bit more.
0: All <laughs> right. So, let's, speaking of reviewing cards, let's get into our episode topic this week, which is rather than reviewing the cards in specific, we're going to go over some guidelines and ideas about good ways to review cards in general so you can kind of know where we're coming from uh, and hopefully be able to evaluate cards better yourself going Sure.
1: Forward. Yeah, like you said, uh, we're going to be doing this little, um, it's going to be a little shorter episode. Hopefully, mm-hmm. and we're all just gonna talk about how to judge cards in general, how to have a unbiased uh, opinion about them, and how to maybe spot potential cards before they come out, and you can make your own informed decisions about okay. new cards coming out. You know, I think that going forward, this is a good uh, little um, guide to have.
0: Yeah, we just want to have the standard set, so if there's ever a card review episode, we can say, do you guys want to know how and why we're thinking about it this way? Go listen to this episode, and it's just going to be a quick summary of how we go about reviewing cards. There are, of course, other ways that we're not going to mention here, um, but this this is a lot of ways that people like to review cards, and the main ones that we
1: use. So. Yeah. And of course, after, uh, after this episode, stay tuned for card review. We'll be releasing them simultaneously. Mm-hmm. We'll be going o- over all the cards, but it would be too long of an episode to do both of them together. So if you don't actually want to listen to how to review cards and how to judge cards, you're already an expert at that. You can Mm -hmm. uh, skip this and go into our opinions about the cards in uh, the next segment.
0: Yep. So the first important thing to note about card reviewing is the idea of formats. And we talked about formats actually extensively last week, um, but that's the idea of, you know, Arena is one format, Ranked is another format, Tavern Brawl is another format, and then tournaments are the fourth, uh, most important. Tournaments,
1: format. and depending on what kind of tournament, right? Like, tournaments can have their own format. Like, the most common right. one is Conquest, is the officially mm-hmm. sanctioned one. But, you know, there can be a lot of other ones, like, oh, yeah. you know, Challenge Stone, or a lot that of totally the fun DSL series, a lot of those.
0: Exactly. And a card that's good in Arena could be terrible in Ranked. A card that's good in one week's Tavern Brawl could be terrible in the next week's Tavern Brawl. So, When you're reviewing a card, it's important to say, what are you reviewing it for? Um, because it's not going to just be the same thing across every format. Absolutely. Um,
1: A card's power level is entirely uh, dependent on the rules that govern, mm -hmm. you know, what you're playing around. Uh, we see this changing all of the time. It's easy to see in things like, you know, tavern brawls, where every week, um, cards are a good change a lot. And this is depending on the rules that we have.
0: Exactly. Um, we, for our part, in our, card reviews going forward, at least for now, are going to focus on ranked reviews only. At some point, if we get really into Arena, maybe we'll also do Arena episodes or something, but we don't want to take too general of an approach because most of what we play is is um, constructed, ranked in some tournaments, um, and that's what we would be most interested in and uh, knowledgeable about reviewing. So that's really going to be our focus in our episodes is talking about how these cards do in constructed decks rather than arena or, or tavern ball or anything like that. But there are lots of great resources to find good arena cards out there. So. Yep. Um, let's see here. Let's jump into some of the basic, uh, evaluations people use or the, the best, um, ways to evaluate a card. One of those is pretty simple. It's the baseline stats of the card. Um, this is also known as the vanilla test. This is just the idea of you look at how much attack it has, you look how much power it has, you look how much it costs. Is it a good deal based on, you know,
1: what cards yeah. are average. It's basically like the, the the most raw way at which you can look at a card. And yeah. you're usually looking, you know, at minions to see if you're getting a good bank for your buck. You know, is this good enough stats? Am I paying uh, this much amount of mana for a good enough of a return? If it spells, exactly. you know, is it a powerful enough effect to be worth this much mana? Um, and generally there are guidelines for this in Hearthstone, uh Mm -hmm. this has come to be known over time right and just from looking at the cards you can get a general sense of this and basically you just find the average of what's a good card so for example on the one mana slot you can count on it being at least a 2-1 right you have a a, that's the average of a good card Mm -hmm. in one mana slot uh you obviously have outliers like zombie chow which is great we will go into that later, but yeah. you're just looking at cards like at, can I at least get this much? You know, for two mana you usually get a three-two or a two-three. For three mana, mm-hmm. generally the the new consensus is that a three-four is generally yeah. That much changed good over and,
0: expansions, but it became the new standard, really.
1: Yeah, it's really the new standard. And then for four mana, so four five, which makes sense, right? Like for the longest time, we had a four-five uh, be the the standard for four mana, but for 3 mana, it was only a 3-3, three, three,
0: right? Yeah, 3 mana was rough for a while. It was hard to get something above a 3-3 three, three in a 3 slot, and it, it felt really odd um, with it having such a power jump between 3 mana and 4 mana. So they kind of evened that out with expansions, which yep. is one reason new 3 mana cards are often used so much. Hmm. Or you're typically slotting like, spells in for it.
1: But um, yeah, basically this is, uh, is what we call a baseline evaluation, or mm-hmm. like you said, the vanilla test, everybody knows this one. Um... When you get a card, does it pass this test? Exactly.
0: And typically, if it's lower or it's higher, uh, like, say, you're paying two mana and you're getting a 4-5, or you're paying one mana and getting a 2-3, there's probably something on the ability that's telling you why. Similarly, if you're paying too much, like you're paying three mana for a 1-4, there's going to be some ability that trades that off, which brings us to the second part, which is the idea of baseline abilities. Um and the idea of how good the ability on the card is, and how much that ability would cost roughly in mana. So let's go through some of those examples. So if you have a two-mana card, it's a four or five. Uh, that's Ancient Watcher. That seems like an incredibly good deal on the vanilla test, because as we went before, that should be worth four mana, but its ability is can't attack. And in Hearthstone, that basically means unless you do something to that card, it literally is useless. Um, so however much you want to cost the mana for that, um, reducing it, you can. Um, some some effects are global enough across the game that you can start to get a, um, a get a sense for how much mana they're worth. For example, card draw. Card draw is used on so many cards that you can start to get an idea for how much mana the game really values card draw at. For example, Arcane Intellect, which draws you two cards, costs three mana. Um, the, um, a 1-1 one, one creature, what's that creature called? The little gnome. Novice Engineer. Is that Novice Engineer for two mana? Is a two mana one one? A one-one though is typically like a zero cost creature of stats. So yeah, you get a wisp, they give you a one-one for free. Right, so you're valuing the card draw at about two mana. So it card draws about 1.5 to 2 mana per card. It like it differs a little bit, but if you look at sprint, it also falls into that. 7 mana for 4 cards is about 1.5 to 2 mana per card. So as you start to look at cards and look at their ability sentence, you can start to realize about what the baseline mana level is for an ability. Um, another example of that would be like points of damage on a spell falls between 0.5 and 1 mana. So like a 1 mana spell typically does 2 damage and, and rank, uh, ranking up from there. So it's a, it's a pretty helpful way of being able to say, okay, look at the card's baseline stats, then combine it with the card's abilities, and you can actually get an idea for how much that card is worth.
1: Yeah, and this is this is a good way to look at new cards and also to look at cards while you're for example, drafting arenas or that sort of thing. Yeah, it's amazing for limited.
0: Because in arena and limited, you're not looking so much at synergy and expecting a deck to be able to be built around the card. So the pure power of the card in isolation, its ability and its uh and its stats together is really what you're looking for. Exactly. Um, and you can't count on those other surrounding elements being around it.
1: Yep. So this is, yeah, this is just looking at the specific card. How much value can you get from it? You know, mm-hmm. the, and you kind of have like a general sense for what's the average. If you're getting more than that, then great. Definitely go for it. If you're getting yep. less than that, you better have a really good reason to be picking that card. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs>
0: um, another thing that's going beyond just the, the strength of the card itself, um, or its core strength and going to what the card can potentially do. A really important way to determine uh, determine kind of the potential strength of card is just looking at the card potential, and that's the idea of what can this card do in a best-case scenario. Um, that's something that's helpful to look at because some cards are variable. It's not just like, you know, I play it, it's a 4-5, it's a Yeti, it's always going to be a 4-5 Yeti. Some of them become much better depending on what's going on in the game. A great example of that is Mysterious Challenger. If the best case scenario with that card is you're on turn five you have a coin you play it on turn five you have five secrets in your deck they all come out at once you just got five secrets a six attack six health creature um you thinned your deck from all of those uh from all of those secrets and you did that all with one card like that's incredible amounts of value exactly you're and, going, yeah
1: and you also it, when you also compare it to you know the baseline stats and the baseline abilities that other cards in that range have. Um, mm-hmm. You can see that Mysterious Challenger exceeds that kind of thing when you meet those conditions. Exactly, exactly.
0: And and it's important to do this, not just to understand uh, how good a card is, but to understand that, like, let's take Wisp. Best case scenario, you play it with the one drop and turn one and get an extra 1-1 one, one for a card. Even in its best case scenario... It's not good. Like, that's assuming you have it in your opening hand. So, like, if you look at a card and the card's best-case scenario still isn't something you want in your deck, then you can pretty much just automatically write that card off because you've thought of it. There's no potential left for it to reach. Um, so that can be a helpful way of you saying, if this card even reached its best case, would it still be worthwhile to be in my deck? Um, the important next step to take, though, is once you realize what that best, let's say, Mysterious Challenger again, once you realize how good that scenario is, a really important thing to then think through is how likely is that scenario? Yeah. Um, uh, because it's very easy to get in the thinking of um, it's going to go my way. This card's amazing because it can be great. So obviously this card is always great. And that's, that's a very damaging mindset to get into. You really have to think about what is the actual likelihood of me being able to pull off this card's win condition. Uh, great example of that is Memorand's head. That's a card that I think you have to have four mechs in play at the start of your turn? I think is
1: is three mechs. Is it three? I think it's three mechs. And a, okay. a Mimiron counts as one.
0: Gotcha. gotcha. But even so even
1: that is very hard to pull off.
0: Right. So it's a card like that, we're sure it's best case scenario is potentially game winning. But the chance of getting three mechs in play at the beginning of your next turn, giving your opponent a whole turn to react. Once so your low. opponent
1: knows that you have played Mimiron's head too. Right exactly that it's you know it's extremely
0: unlikely so that best case scenario you then need to balance with like how likely is it i can get that and that's why cards like dr boom are so amazing because they have a best case scenario that you can guarantee really often um so the cards that both have a best case scenario and also allow you to reach that best case scenario often are the ones you really are going to look at as major yeah. and
1: it's important day. to note sometimes thinking about the best case scenario and the likelihood of the best case scenario is not super easy, especially with new cards. Mm. Um, Sometimes it actually requires quite a bit of playtesting, because you can even Mm -hmm. try it out one or two times and really not pull it off and feel like it's terrible, but maybe you just got hit by variants and just had a, a really unlucky hands or something, but if you tried it 20 times, you start realizing, oh... Okay, I can use this this way and this way, and you start seeing the potential develop a little more. Some other cards can be a little more obvious in the actual potential. A good example of this is piloted shredder. Yeah, get people a, knew that was going to be good. Exactly, you get a four three, and people could make the average what would come out, right? You get a two drop from it, so people could make a list of all the two drops, get the average stats, and they found out that at least you get. I think it's a. Uh, 3-2 or a 2-3.
0: Yeah, either way, that's 7-5 of stats for 4-mana. Yeah, exactly. Which that's exceeds
1: crazy. anything you can play for 4-mana already. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes, very sometimes, you can have very bad outcomes. But mm-hmm. the chances are so low that you almost have to neglect them. And then mm-hmm. just play around them when they happen. Yeah. But most of the time, the outcome is very good. So, you know, the cards like that are a little easier to judge. But um it's a good example to think about. That's a really
0: good point. And something that we definitely try to make an effort to do is when there is a more complex card like Barry and Rin or Mysterious Challenger, I really don't like to take a firm opinion on that kind of card before it's out and can get a lot of playtesting. Because it's very easy to be wrong about those. Like, we'll definitely have opinions about them and say what we think. But you have to keep in mind that when they're actually play tested and implemented in the game, people find out very different things about them. And I think that the cards that people are often the most wrong about, stuff like Grim Patron or Varian Ren. people thought Varian would be amazing. People thought Grim Patron wouldn't really do anything. Yeah, And absolutely. it's once people can actually play test and integrate those cards and see... Because we know the scenario can be awesome, but all of the variables of how likely they'll actually be pulled off and how often they'll be countered by all the different decks in the game really take time and effort for people to start tweaking them to see how they're going to turn out.
1: Yeah, Grim Patriot is the best example of that because everybody thought that card was going to be so underwhelming and that the conditions to make that card good were so hard to meet at a five cost. But Mm -hmm. they didn't realize that with Warzone Commander, things like Whirlwind, and Deathspite, which already has a Whirlwind integrated into that, and it's already an amazing card. uh, The conditions to make Grim Patron an amazing card are actually easier to meet than you would think. Exactly. Exactly. So that's definitely something to keep in mind of card potential.
0: Uh, Why don't you talk a little, Andres, about the idea of card history and comparing uh, cards to previous cards.
1: Yeah. Another way to gauge the potential of new cards that are coming out is taking a look at Uh, cards that have previously come out in older expansions or have been in the game for a while. Um, This can help us with cards that have similar effects and they're kind of like in the same vein, because we can already have a general idea for how powerful those effects are. A good Mm -hmm. example of this is, for example, um, Frostbolt with Dark Bomb when it came out, and later on with Quickshot. All these three cards have very similar effects, and we already knew that Frostbolt was a very good card. The 3 damage paired up with the freeze is actually pretty amazing as removal. Obviously, dark bomb didn't have the freeze, but if we think about frostbolt, most of the time we're using it to outride remove a uh, creature where the freeze sometimes becomes negligible and it's almost like the chariot of the pie. Mm-hmm. Um Dark Bomb does kind of like the same job, and Quickshot does the same job too, with the upside that if your hand is empty, which happens a lot as a hunter, you get uh, an extra free card, which is, you know, great. So it was kind of easier to judge the power level of things like Dark Bomb and Quickshot before they came out, because we already had a point of reference. Uh, this happens all the time too. With this expansion, there's already a few cards that already resemble previous cards, and we can have a general idea for how good they will be compared to the ones that we already have.
0: Exactly. Yeah. And and a good thing to think through is think through first, you know, how are these cards similar? What's the best baseline card history I can get to it? And then how is this different? Like in in Dark Bomb's case, like, okay, so it doesn't have the freezing effect. That's one difference. And the second difference is it's in Warlock instead of Mage. So you think through all the reasons, like, why would it be good in Mage and not in Warlock? Well, you know, they have... They have things that combo with spells, and so you think through all of the reasons that, like, first you think through the similarities, and then think through the differences. And maybe the meta is different than when that card is being played, and it's not going to be so good against the current. Meta, you can also so. think
1: about: Can Warlock benefit from an effect like this, or exactly? Do they don't need it.
0: Exactly, what decks does Warlock run? of those going to need it like Tempo Mage does. So like first you create the similarities, and then you start realizing what the differences are. And that might come up as the differences are enough to make this card different from the one before. It might come up as now nah, the old one is good slash bad. This one probably will be as well. And that's going to be something we're going to be doing a lot: is referencing old cards because, as we said in our last point. Extensive playtesting is the best way to understand a card. So if you have a shortcut to be able to use that extensive playtesting and inform your future opinions, that gives you way greater likelihood to be correct about your opinions. Couldn't have said it better. So let's move on to format-specific strengths. We talked about this before uh, starting out, but um, uh, basically it's that idea of depending on what format you're playing, the cards are going to be better in certain ones. Um, a, an example we have here is Emperor Thorson of Lothed. They're really powerful cards, but they're typically more powerful at countering specific strategies. Um, while in Arena, you're not worried so much about a combo killing you and using Lotheb to stop um, Savage Roar and Force of Nature. You're mostly just concerned with, you know, playing the best stats you possibly can on, on the right uh, turns.
1: Exactly. Or, um, for example, if, in a Tyrant Brawl, it's a good example. Lothib or Emperor Thorson might not fit at all because maybe the Tehran Brawl is all about spells or, or this sort of thing. But, oh, yeah. But basically, we have to think about the format specifically. Like, if we're thinking about ranked, then we have to think about what decks are getting played in rank and what's the general mm-hmm. strategy that goes for ranking. You know, right now we see a lot of mid-range and aggro decks with a sprinkle of control. So mm-hmm. keeping that in mind, you know, what cards are going to excel in that sort of environment and what cards are kind of going to fall short. Uh, some cards might be amazing in the, <clears throat> uh, in the abilities that they have. But when you put them in, in, in contrast with the format, for example, ranked, then you might think to yourself, well, this card is just too slow. It would never make it in rank because I would probably be dead by the time I'm trying to pull out this effect or yeah. in, in contrast, you can also be like, well, this card seems really cool But compared to the cards I'm going to face in ranked against my opponents, it's probably going to fall short to the same cards in the same uh, meta cost that I'm I'm playing.
0: Yeah, exactly. It's it's also important to remember, one of the most important things you can predict is if you can find the card that's going to determine the meta, then you can start basing other cards based on that. For example, if you could have called the Secret Paladin, sometimes... Cards don't have to play by the meta. Sometimes they shape it, like Secret Paladin made uh, that mid-range deck way more powerful than the meta. So if you can realize that really early on and then start weighing other cards based on that, then you're really going to have a look ahead. But it's very difficult to do that. Yeah. Um, all right. Um, archetype-specific cards is another important thing. And as we were talking about with control, mid-range, aggro, this is a nice broad way without getting into specific deck lists of saying, like, what kind of strategy does this card work for? Zombie Chow is a great example. It's a one-cost minion that when it dies, it heals the opponent five. You don't want that in an aggro deck, because you might get a little bit of extra damage and board control at the gate, but you're losing whatever damage you get to the first few turns to that heal effect. However, in a control deck, you can play it turn one, control the creatures from an aggro deck, and the the healing doesn't even matter, because you probably aren't even attacking the other person's face those first few turns.
1: Yeah, I love the credit sign of Zombie Chow. It's amazing. Because Zombie Chow is a minion that aggro decks would drool over. They're like, please, I want this kind of minion to be able to play in turn one mm-hmm. but it's untouchable by them because that death rattle that heal 5 to your opponent yeah. just destroys the whole idea of aggro and um, you know killing your opponent fast but for exactly. control decks this card just fits in perfectly and helps stop the aggression so it's a great example of a card that is very archetype specific in which in one archetype it falls short quite badly and then in the other one it excels
0: mm-hmm. yeah that's something important to remember is that these cards are not being spit out by a random number generator like people are designing these cards and sure sometimes they just design bad cards or cards to fill a role but if you think about like what is this card intended for that can sometimes give you a big clue to like what it can be used for like are they trying to put this in a control deck are they trying to put it in a mid-range deck and you'll start to realize that most cards even ones that seem confusing at first have somewhere that they fit into the game at some point or some yeah. specific way to play Green them. Green
1: Patron is a good example of it too. Like mm-hmm. Instantly, you can see that classes like Warrior or Maid can take right. advantage of it a lot more than classes like Priest, which has yeah. no one mana damage to their minions and their hero power definitely has nothing to do with damage. <laughs> so, so some cards definitely naturally fit better into certain archetypes. And it's important to keep a lookout for that. You know, being familiar with certain archetypes definitely will help with that. Like um, when their Nasa Aspirin came out, people who played Druid instantly were like, yes, this is all I've ever wanted for this deck. <laughs>
0: <laughs> exactly, exactly. So that's, that's one of the key things. You can get a little bit more in depth by doing deck-specific cards, which is beyond just saying what archetype does this card fit in? It's like, what specific deck existing in the meta right now does this fit into? Um, it's definitely more specific. It's also something that is less timeless than the other things, because certain decks might just stop existing over time, in which case, you know, you're going to need to reevaluate that card. But that said, it's incredibly important. We've talked about Grim Patron. We've talked about Mysterious Challenger. These are cards that wouldn't really exist if not for the decks you could build around them. If yeah, Calvin exactly. didn't have secrets, Mysterious Challenger would be horrible. Um and Paladin didn't yeah create a deck full of secrets. Yeah so and
1: these cards are are interesting, the, the deck specific ones, because mm-hmm. normally Blizzard does do a pretty good job of keeping an eye out for what people kinda wanna see in the game and what decks they wanna kinda um promote. Right. And you can see deck specific cards being released all the time. Like back in the day when Warlock didn't play with their demons. They were like, We we wanna fix yeah. that. So they released Void Color. As a, mm-hmm. as a way to be like, no, we want this card to be specifically being played in Demon decks. Or, um, I don't know, there's a million examples of this of this type of thing that they've included.
0: Yeah, yeah Naxxramas, um, Naxxramas had a lot of, as the first expansion of the Hearthstone, I think it had a lot of ways to make people think differently about the game. It's, I still think if you want to like do a little test, like evaluating of cards for an expansion, going back to the Naxxramas cards are wonderful ones to examine because they were all like really specifically crafted. Um,
1: yeah. A lot of interesting sure. effects.
0: It actually had a big impact on the game. Lothab, Zombie Chow, Sludge Belcher, um the one you just, Void Collar. Like, those are all ones that are really interesting to look back yeah. on how they did. Uh,
1: some the of game. them are more like general, but yeah, Void Collar was very specific. Or mm-hmm. th- cards like Totem Golem. Or you can right. um, think about the dragons, you know, like Worm Agent. That was pl- like probably their way of saying, like, Priest is going to have oh, right. dragons. Yes. and it did with the dragons born. that and the twilight guardian
0: so you got some great stuff there yeah um and that's about all for the for the general rules um again listen to our card review episode and you'll you'll hear us bring these points back up over again um and you'll you'll get a feel for kind of how they apply to actually. Yeah, these are um, very
1: general points on how to view cards, uh, especially mm-hmm. when they're coming out. These are generally way, general ways that you can think about them to kind of try to get a sense for how good or how bad they're gonna be.
0: Mm-hmm. And the last thing I wanted to go over is the a concept that kind of helps you visualize cards in a different way and have a kind of a new test to put them through, which is quadrant theory. And this is a theory that was primarily created for Magic, actually and works primarily in a limited or arena format. Um, it's because it really analyzes how the card um affects the game kind of in a vacuum. It doesn't really focus very much on the poten- the combo potential of the card, but it does focus on where the card um works at different parts of the game or different uh different places in the game you could be. For example, it yeah. splits the game up into four segments. One is you are playing a game and you are developing your board. That is huge in Hearthstone. That's, that's the first thing you can be doing. The opening of the game, and as you continue to both create your board and diminish your opponent's board. The second one is parity, when you and your opponent are kind of on the same page and both have some minions on the board and kind of have equal amounts of cards. What are cards that can help you pull ahead in the game? Um, the third one is, is a card good when you're ahead of the, in the game. And then the fourth one is... Will a certain card be good if you're behind in the game? You know, your opponent's board is full, your health is getting low. Can this card help you then? And I'll jump into a little bit more specific for each of those four. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Um, this is a this is a good way to look at cards. I know this this way of looking at cards has be, has become a little more popular. I see it popping all the time in Reddit, um, especially yeah. when new expansions are coming out. So I know a lot of yeah. people are thinking in terms of the quadrant theory, and it's mm-hmm. it's a good way to look at new cards, especially when you have not played tested them. Because it's a good exercise to make you think about different scenarios for the card and one thing to keep in mind is that for a card to be good it doesn't have to be good in all of the quadrants no no no. but the more the more quadrants it is good at obviously the better the The more more well-rounded it is gonna
0: be exactly and shout out to limited resources which is a magic podcast where i first heard of this theory and they have a whole like hour and a half episode on it you guys can look up if you want to go more in depth great podcast very strategic it is magic focused but you can apply almost any of their concepts. Yeah, absolutely.
1: I mean, Obviously, some of the cards you might not understand and stuff, yeah. but the general concepts are completely translatable. Exactly.
0: All right, so I'm going to run us through a card through the Quadrant 3 Let's select the card for me, Andres. It could be an old card or something, but what's a card? Ooh, you, ooh,
1: you ooh, ooh. well, how about we theory? do one of the new cards? Okay, good why idea. Not? Let's do the Explorer's Hat. Oh, gosh. So the Explorer's Hat, why don't you read that off? With, uh, the stats of that card. Alright, the explorer's hat. Um, two mana mm-hmm. is a spell card. Give mm-hmm. a minion plus one plus one and death rattle. Add an explorer's hat to your hand. Alright, so
0: let's look at this. Um, opening and development. Is it good at getting your board established or eliminating your enemy's board? This is the idea of, you know, it can go anywhere from turn one to eight um, or more like turn one to five. I'd say typically it's when you're really, you know, playing on tempo, you're playing your two drop, your three drop, your four drop. And sometimes with some decks, you know, you're playing efficient removal. You're hitting a Frostbolt to take out a minion while building your own board. You're hitting a Sorcerer's Apprentice and going into Flame Cannon and, you know, mana efficiently getting minions on your field while reducing your opponent. So it's that idea of getting ahead on board state. This card, the idea of paying two mana to give something plus one, plus one, probably really bad for development. That's not an efficient use of mana.
1: Yeah, especially early on, uh, the the hat definitely does not help you develop any minions. You actually have to have minions to make the, the hat useful exactly. at all. So in this quadrant, um, the hat kind of falls short. Yeah, it, it's pretty bad. Like, the best thing you could do is you ha
0: like, play a minion on turn one. They play a minion on turn one. You play the hat in your minion and remove their minion. Like, it's possible, but very unlikely that that's going to yeah, work out. Yeah, but
1: basically, in th- basically opening and developing, where you're thinking about this, this quadrant, you're thinking about cards that can help you push the game forward, right? Mm-hmm. They're, they're going to put creatures on your board. They're going to put threats that your opponent is going to have to answer. Um, there's also spells out there who do both, for example implosion is a great oh, example of a spell mm-hmm. that deals damage and develops your board. yep
0: implosion is amazing stuff like shield and mini bonkers aspirin for great and even and shredder doing, things yeah.
1: that are sticky are great in this in this quadrant exactly
0: all right the second one is parody this one is interesting to me because i don't honestly think it's as important in hearthstone as it is in magic um quickly to go over the rules of magic in Magic, when you attack with minions, instead of being able to attack specific minions, basically all of your minions automatically attack your opponent's face, and then your opponent chooses which minions they want to block with. Um, so the reason that this is different in Magic is you can get to the point where you have a stalemate, where people are playing a bunch of creatures on both sides of the board, and neither of them want to attack, because that gives the other person the, the decision of which creatures to block with which. So basically they can choose, whoever's defending gets to choose the
1: um uh, favorable combat and you're right in hearthstone the dynamic is a little different but i would Mm -hmm. agree that there's the concept of parody very much exists in hearthstone oh it's there because unlike unlike magic where there can be a stalemate what Mm -hmm. happens in hearthstone is the person who has the strongest creature the creature that finally sticks on the board and that your opponent cannot use their creature to trade into yours or their creatures to trade into it that's the person who wins in parity. That's the person Mm -hmm. who suddenly can stop worrying about the board and can start going towards their opponent's face and start tilting the balance in their favor. So basically, cards in Hearthstone that can tilt parity, um, think about if both opponents are playing efficient decks, right? They're both going to be playing a 3-2 or a 2-3 on turn two, Mm -hmm. right? That trades with each other. Or are they gonna play a four three or a three four on turn three that will trade with each other? Mm-hmm. So one four five or a five four on turn four that would trade with each other. So basically, cards that tilt that balance and that help you stick the minion on the board while your opponent has to do more or doesn't have the answer. Yeah. That's what what Parrot brings you. So I would say, Making for example, an angel, yeah. the uh, the hat actually helps you quite a bit in this area because yep. it it can buffed your creatures so that you come ahead.
0: Yeah, one big thing in parody is this idea that you've both been playing minions, you've both been developing something of a board uh, which can still happen in Hearthstone even though you can target minions with each other and it keeps typically a smaller board, you can both start building up uh, some threats and parody is the idea of what can break that, what can pull you ahead. Like you said a really good minion can do that the idea of buffing your own minions is awesome because you're able to kind of take that stalemate you had and suddenly pull ahead like with the hat just get that little bit of buff and at that point in the game, you have enough mana to maybe cast it two or three times in one turn if you do some trades. Yeah, and your um, opponent
1: is going to have to use extra resources to catch up. And if they don't have exactly. an efficient way to catch up, then you have, will be able to keep developing over over them. And exactly. The hat is actually quite interesting because I was playing it with it earlier today. And it can help you quite a bit in this area. Um, for mm-hmm. example, I was on turn nine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, turn 9. And I play the hat. Uh, no, I played Unleash the Hounds. And I got like 4 hounds. And I had the hat. And I just buffed one of my doggies, traded it in, got the hat. Buffed another one, traded it in, got the hat, and buffed another one. So I got a plus 3 plus 3 with the hat. Obviously, you have know, it's a plus 3 plus 3 that costs 6, six mana. mana but, but no card you, loss. So. You, no card loss, yeah. You have to think about it as a, as a hero power effect. So I, I lost no card advantage, but came ahead in stats, if that makes sense. Yeah, exactly.
0: Um, parody, I would say, is a more narrow window in Hearthstone because it more quickly, because of the targeting you have, one person comes ahead or falls behind much more quickly than in Magic, but it is still a state that a card can help you get ahead in. Um, and I think the hat, this is probably actually a fairly strong area for it. It's okay in parity. Um, so the next category is when you're ahead. Is a card good when you're already winning? These are the win-more cards you hear so much about, like Bloodlust. You have a board full of um, minions, you play Bloodlust. That's amazing when you're ahead, because it can sometimes close out the game in, like, one turn. Um Similarly, you know, Savage is great when you're ahead. Um... Any direct damage spells are typically pretty good. Stuff like Fireball and Pyroblast are great because once you're ahead, you're at the point where you're like, okay, I just want to finish this game. I want to kill my opponent. Yeah. Basically,
1: um, cards that are are good in this quadrant, the ahead quadrant, Mm -hmm. are cards that, while you're already ahead in the game, either help you close out the game faster so that you don't run to the risk of your opponent taking Mm -hmm. back things, or cards that prevent your opponent from taking back the board
0: counter spell, mirror entity and to some extent exactly so yeah. any,
1: like you said any finisher you know grom the druid yeah. combo um you know um oil plus blade flurry all mm-hmm. those things that you know can finish your opponent very quick are great uh, and talking about in terms of the hat i think the card the hat is actually good while you're ahead mm. because while you're ahead in the board if you have you the choice of having extra mana, right? You already have more resources than yeah. your opponent does. So you're probably at the point where you either don't want to develop extra resources that you have in your hand and you want to protect the ones that are already in the board. The Had can take out your minions out of the range of a hero power. It can take him yeah. out of the range of flame strike. It can keep, keep making them trade efficiently, right? Your damaged minion that's about to die, you buff it with a Had, you trade it up with a bigger minion and then you still get the Had which you can buff in another minion
0: yeah, it is decent if you're especially if your opponent is starting to play, you know, one minute at a time, you can use the hat to buff up minions and remove whatever they're playing while you're yeah, back. I think the I best think example
1: we're... of it sorry. Sorry well, go ahead, go ahead. but the best example of it is generally in Hearthstone when you're ahead as a class, that's when you see players use hero powers the most. Because mm-hmm. is a liability free effect, right? You're not They spending... don't wanna commit too many cards. Yeah, you're not spending more cards, but you have the extra mana, so you're squeezing in that sort of effect. And the hat has that same sort of effect.
0: That is a good point. I think where it falls a little short is if you're just trying to get him down quickly and your opponent isn't really playing something into it, it can, you know, it's only getting you one damage compared to something like a fireball or a or a savage roar or something like that. It's not Finishing as much as other cards do, but it's not a bad little tool to have in your arsenal. Yeah, your I think
1: obviously there is there's ranges in between these mm-hmm. quadrants. I don't think totally. the hat is as Amazing. good as maybe as a blessing of, of kings would be yeah. while you're ahead. But it's uh, fine. It has but, a but it it is it's where it lies its strengths. I feel when you're ahead yeah. and where you're at parity is usually where you want to see things like the hat. And then we bring to where the hat is terrible, and that's yeah. when we're behind. This is the idea of your
0: opponent has board control, is getting ahead on health, you need to catch up. Do you want to use two mana to put a plus one, plus one on a creature you probably don't even have out on the field?
1: No. Nope. That's
0: when it's not good. At when this you're point behind, in the game- you definitely
1: want minions, you want things that uh, draw you cards. If you can yep. do both, things like Asher Drake, where you play a body and you draw mm-hmm. a card, those are the things that you want to see when you're behind. You want to see <laughs> huge threats, you know, Dr. Boom. The number one
0: thing I think you want to see when you're behind on board is AOE. Like if you can get a flame strike when behind and your opponent overcommits, that can literally turn the game around.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Flame one strike, thing, uh, equality,
0: consecrate. Something you have to be very careful about when behind is healing. Um, healing can be good when you're behind if you have a game plan to follow it up with. If you play an anti-heal bot and heal yourself because you know the next turn you're going to be able to do something else, that's great. But if you just heal yourself and don't have anything to follow it up with, That doesn't really do anything
1: because they're just going
0: to, you're dying slower. So healing can be good when behind, but it has to combo with also doing something else because in itself it's just prolonging your death.
1: Um, Just healing yourself is usually generally a bad play. Mm -hmm. Um, Generally, when you're behind, healing is good to prevent you from dying and it Mm -hmm. can be good when you're behind. But generally, what you want to do is develop your board. And usually, when you're so behind, your opponent might feel tempted to ignore your board because mm-hmm. it has no need it, it, no need to, to to mess with this is going to kill you anyway so you might want to develop your board and save the healing so that then, yeah, you can come they... back with your with your underdeveloped board
0: yeah healing is much better at parity or even when you're ahead on everything against like an aggro deck except uh with the health it can keep you in the game long enough to finish Yeah,
1: a lot of uh, a lot of strategies to beat Acro decks is to aggressively get ahead and then yeah. heal yourself to prevent them from using that those last points of damage to finish you off while you exactly. already, already have a, a big board presence that can yep. finish them off.
0: So that's the basis of Quadrant Theory. I really love it. Again, it's better at limited play because as you saw through all that, we weren't taking into account any other cards you had in your deck. It's really taking the card in isolation for the most part. But that's also valuable for constructed. I mean as as important as combos are, you also need a card that stands on its own as well and you know has has good points to it. Yeah, it, absolutely. In itself, so. And
1: even the combo decks need this like uh, the, the cards that are very well grounded. For example, mm-hmm. uh Green Patron still needs Fireworks and need Despite which yeah. are cards that are very well-rounded in all these areas.
0: Yeah, you need to think when you're looking at your deck, you're like, does it have cards I can open and develop? Does it have cards that will win when I'm ahead finishers? Does it have a way for me to catch up when I'm behind? And if it doesn't, you need to start considering why does my strategy not need those? Or, you know, often you'll end up saying, okay, I'll put a Brawl in my Grim Patron deck so I have no way to catch up. And
1: that yeah. Sort of thing, so. so basically, you know, to to conclude with a hat, what, what do you think yes. about it? So definitely in opening or developing the board, I would give mm-hmm. it a bad. Yeah. In Pirity, I would give it an average. It's, mm-hmm. uh, it's decent here. In Ahead, I would also give it an average, because mm-hmm. it does help you in that. And in Behind, I would give it a very bad.
0: I would probably, in the end, rate the hat fairly lowly, because I think that a two-mana card, typically in most decks, is something you want to be good at opening in development. Um, and the idea that it can't really do anything early in the game, it, it, it kind of hurts it a lot.
1: Um, it hurts it a lot and i I would rate it at the same power level as a hero power and you have to think about do you want to have a card in your deck that
0: gives you a second hero power it gives you a second hero power that's a good way to put it uh and it's like maybe it's almost like if you're late in the game at that point you'd rather just draw a high main or you'd rather draw an actual threat that you play game. yeah also
1: this is when you have to start thinking in terms of uh does can this card unlock other synergies, or can mm-hmm. this card be better with other things? Um, I can right. think of one right off the bat, like with Lock and Load. Yeah. you can do some crazy things. Uh, when a Lock and Load turn with a with a board can be crazy because you could cast the mm-hmm. hat three times. Yep, and that's when potentially you start taking... potentially and draw exactly. three cards out of thin air. Uh, obviously, <laughs> we have to start looking at the likelihood of this scenario. And mm-hmm. is it likely or not? Who knows? We would have to play test it. Exactly.
0: So yeah, when we're reviewing cards, we're not going to go through every single category for every single card. But you hear us a lot of the time saying what are the baseline stats of the card? What is its abilities? What is its best case scenario? What are other cards that have been similar to it in the past and how do they perform? How will it do in different formats? How will it do in different archetypes? How will it do in different decks? And then run it through the quadrant theory test and you're already you're getting a much broader picture of the card's potential and the uh the ideas and theories behind the card than if you just, you know, look at it and read it. So, so yeah. That'll do it. Um again, we're gonna be recording a um right after this we're gonna be recording a card review that will be on the uh card review of, I always forget the name, League of Explorers, that will be on the, uh, <laughs> that will be on the feed with this one, so you can check that out if you want to hear us to start, uh, reviewing cards. Um, and we'll head into the outro now. You can find us on iTunes. We really appreciate all the iTunes reviews we have, and any you'd like to give us in the future. We have a new one this week from Friend of the Show and Common, uh, actually like the, uh, Wednesday night game night Person He, like, starts it early every week for me and has some (laughs) pregame hype with everyone. So, big thanks to Jamie for being there every week and and starting the call and all that. He sends us a review um, on point five stars, and he writes, That's what this podcast is, on point. The discussions bring up tons of valid points, and everyone can learn so much from it. And if a point is missed, the listener topics can cover any holes. Overall, fantastic job by everyone and worth a listen to every Hearthstone enthusiast. So, Thank you very much for that, Jamie. Yeah,
1: thanks, Jamie. Awesome that you've been liking the show. I'm glad that we can deliver and we can keep you listening. Uh, That makes us very happy. We're also very happy with uh, how the new format is coming along. And Mm -hmm. we're definitely going to keep at it.
0: For sure. And you heard he mentioned their listener topics. Absolutely. We haven't been getting too many of those. But if you guys want to send in any listener topics, absolutely feel free to do so at our uh, email address, parthaholics at gmail.com. And we'll read them at the end of each show. Um because we got uh our episodes got squished, we don't actually have next week's episode planned because we're doing two this week, but we'll let you know on Twitter as soon as we uh as soon as we figure out the content of what'll be best for us to do next,
1: yeah, week. absolutely, and always feel free if you guys have a topic that you would like us to discuss in the show or hear an yeah. opinion about it. you can always write in. We'd love to hear what kind of episodes you guys would like us to do. Yeah, next
0: week is the first time in a long time we actually don't have something set. So send us ideas for our next show. If there's something you want to hear us like cover in more detail, please send us an email, and we we totally will we'll see about getting it done. So um, you can also find us on YouTube or Facebook at Hearthaholics. Uh, and you, we are a uh, member of the Whales or Whales Network. Check out Whales That's Whales A R E and you can uh, you can find a bunch of other awesome shows like this with other awesome people like us. Uh, we run a game night for fellow Hearthstone podcast, The Angry Chicken. Uh, you can go to the subreddit slash TAC podcast and you'll find sticky threads for the Wednesday night game night at 8 p.m. Central Daily Time, or Standard Time now, because Daylight Saving Time is over. Central Standard Time. I run that. It's mostly Tavern Brawls. And, um, this is actually really fun with Ragnaros and Nefarian coming out again. Um, <laughs> lots of wild magic everywhere. Um, yeah, they, they actually tweaked it some since last time, which I thought was really interesting. Awesome. Uh, they, they buffed Ragnaros quite a bit, so that was cool. Uh, and then we also had the Monday Night Game Nights, which is more um, competitive game nights that Andres yeah. has. Yeah, and you guys have been doing that ATLC format for a while, which is awesome.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's worked out so far. Usually we get two teams going on, um, and we just battle it out. We do kind of like a conquest-style thing. We separate into two calls, and we get to go at it. It's pretty cool because you get to strategize with other people, Um, Some people get to learn a lot of things. Some other people get to share their knowledge. So you know, it's
0: yeah, a little bit of everything. It's actually a really cool idea because um, it gives you like an into tournament play without just having you know enter a tournament and be on your own. You know, there are people there that are talking through your plays with you. So if you want like an introduction to what it's like to play in tournaments while having a supportive group actually going through your turns with you, yeah, and you get to talk about the
1: strategy with the other people. You know, from Mm -hmm. the deck selection to what decks should everybody bring? Who should be paired up with who? Who sh- who should go first? Who should go last? Yeah, it's uh it's very cool. And then uh, we have like this little tournament spreadsheet that everyone has access to, and we can keep mm. the tally of the scores. And it I gets pretty it. competitive. Everyone starts writing the little <laughs> comments in it. They're like, "Woo, yeah, the priest is the best," or you know, yeah. the "No, most. priest is never the best." <laughs> yeah, it's never the best actually. <laughs> we, we haven't had a priest in the tournament in a while actually. Ooh, I need to join. Bring yeah, dragon priest. Yeah, there you go. All right. Uh, also,
0: you can find us on Twitter. Andres is I play games. That's I P L A I games. I am Lord Meldor. L O R D M E L D O R R. And you can find Andres' uh, music production company, Massive Music, at massivemusic.com. M A S S E V E music.com. He did our intro music, which as you can tell and are about to hear is amazing. Uh, and you can find yeah. other of his stuff there. So that's, uh, that'll be everything actually. So.
1: Yeah, check it out and definitely stay tuned. We're gonna do our cut reviews, it'll be released simultaneously with this episode. Um Yep. Stay tuned. Alright everyone. Bye bye. Let's (laughs) go.